Seahawks fans, wherever you may be. Welcome back for another edition of the Seahawks Playbook Podcast. Join your host, Bill Alpstead, and co-host, sports writer and football analyst, Keith Myers, as we talk Seahawks football. Seahawks fans, welcome back to another edition of the Seahawks Playbook Podcast, our first regular season podcast show of the season. 2020 is off to a great start. Seahawks get the win in Atlanta, and all is right for the world, even but just for a, a few hours on an afternoon on a Sunday. Uh, here with my good friend and co-host Keith Myers to talk Seahawks football. Hey, Keith. Hey, um, yeah, I'm so excited to, to talk about Seahawks this week because we have not had football to where we can watch and talk about for a long time. There's been no mini longer camps, than usual. Been no mini camps, no training camp, no OTAs, um, no preseason. So here we are after week one, and we finally have real football um, that we got to watch and now we get to talk about and I am so excited for it that even the unbreathable air that we have up here in the Pacific Northwest is not going to ruin my excitement. Well, that's awesome. <laughs> um sorry about the the bad weather and the the smoke and the fires and the displacement of people. That's awful stuff. Uh just add it to the list of of 2020. Um but uh you know, best possible outcome uh, for, for the game, obviously the, a win is a win, but the way that they won, uh, lots to talk about today, uh, particularly on the offensive side of the ball. I think everything kind of clicked, uh, even beyond mid season form. Mm -hmm. And for a lot of folks, the way that they won, uh, was, uh, outstanding and, uh, folks would like that to be an indicator of, uh, things to come this year, and we'll talk about that. We'll see, and then we'll talk about the defense. Uh, they did enough, obviously, against Atlanta, but is it enough um, overall? And we'll get into all that. Uh, Keith, how do you want to start today, man? We'll just start talking about the game. Well, Seahawks won uh, thirty-eight to twenty-five. I don't think you can talk about this game and not start with the performance of Russell Wilson. I mean, he was just unbelievably good. Um, 31 of 35, only four incompletions. He had four touchdowns. He had as many... In no interceptions. No interceptions. He had as many incompletions as he did touchdowns. Yeah, he, and three of them weren't his fault. Yeah. He also averaged uh, just under 10 yards per attempt. Nice. Which is just crazy. Um, well, in the first half, they really didn't throw that far down the field, so he made up for that in the second half, for sure. He did, especially with that um, that crazy fourth and five conversion to Metcalf. Nice. Uh, oh, that was which awesome. was just one of the most beautiful <laughs> plays you'll oh, ever I see. Know. But we'll get, That's a dagger right there. <clears throat> we'll get to that in a minute. But um, I just, Wilson got sacked three times. He was running for his life other times. The three sacks were all in the first quarter. Um, and then after that, the offensive line, um, kind of got their act together and was, was a little better. Uh, but he was under pressure and he was running around and you couldn't tell by the stat line. This is just a incredibly dominant performance by one of the league's best players. 
Oh, absolutely. In fact, I think that he was um, he was the most pressured uh, quarterback uh, in week one. Uh, when you take a look at everything combined, pressures, uh, sacks, um, all that kind of stuff. So uh, he had an 88% uh, 88.6 percent completion percentage, third highest in NFL history with a minimum of 35 attempts. He had 14 points scored in the first quarter and 14 points scored in the third quarter, the two most important quarters in, in the game, and the Seahawks dominated those quarters. Um, at 143.1 rating, second player in NFL history to throw at least 35 passes, complete at least 30 of those, have over 300 yards, and four touchdowns. Drew Brees is the only other guy to do that, 2011. That is uh, incredible Indiana. company. Because Breeze has yeah. been a Hall of Famer like his whole career. So, well, well at least since Wilson's he made it on too. that short list at this point, too, yep. no doubt. So, yeah, I mean, you just can't say enough about the way that they came out um, and they played with urgency and tempo right off the top. I mean, they made some mistakes, uh, you know, as, as they will do, but they overcame those. Um, well, the, it was really nice to see the 12 of the first 16 plays called were passes. Mm -hmm. And in those, Russell Wilson was 12 for 12 and two touchdowns. Um, the very first play from scrimmage was a nine-yard sack. That's not a very good indicator usually. No. And uh, that didn't slow him down, right? Usually in, in past years, they'd be like, oh, we're um, – Second and 19, run the ball up the middle twice and punt. Let's give up on the on the possession. No, instead they let they let Wilson throw it. He got, um, you know, two completions, first down, and then never looked back. I mean, he um, there was a second sack uh, on that drive too, and again, didn't matter, didn't change anything. They just kept no. rolling. Uh, Wilson found Chris Carson. Even later on, those the penalties that they had, they had two or three penalties in a row mm -hmm. when they were trying to drive, and they overcame that to get a field goal. You know, I mean, so it just everything kind of really went well for them on offense, even when they they faced the challenges. And in, in the past, especially week one on the road, historically they haven't been able to overcome those sorts of challenges. Um, to, and Sunday was a completely different story. I mean, Russell, it's it is Russell Wilson's uh, show at this point. There's just no question about that. Now, uh, with all that said, the whole let Russ cook crowd, uh, awesome. They got everything that they wanted out of this game. I mean, everything. Um, but was it a scheme game for the Atlanta Falcons or is this truly a kind of a tipping point, a change, uh, point in Pete Carroll's, uh, philosophy overall, that is going to allow this to continue for the for uh, more than just one game or the full season or whatever? Or do they come back to some sort of median where there's more balance? That'll be the question. I think overall what you're seeing is a shift in philosophy, but it might not be as shifted as far as we saw in Atlanta. Um, we're, next week's not going to be a great example of it either because New England is – a completely different beast as far as their defense and the way Bill Belichick does things where he will take something away from you that you really want to do. He will completely take it away from you and see if, see what your offense can do without it. Um, and, and it'll be really interesting because there's new England secondary is their strength. Mm -hmm. And if they decide they want to take away Russell Wilson and, and his throwing, which is unlikely no matter what, 
Um, I don't think they're going to do that. And force Seattle to run the ball. That would that would maybe play into Seattle's hands. But they so might. It might be one of those things where they take away uh, DK Metcalf and any any long ball potential and force the Seahawks to dink and dunk it, which they don't want to do. Russell Wilson doesn't want to do. He wants to push the ball down the field. Um, and if they take away everything deep and force him underneath, will he have the patience to to do that? And I think he will. I mean, we saw that in the first half of this game. But if I was going to guess, I would say that would be the one thing that the Seahawks do really well that the, the Patriots are going to take away. And that's the deep ball. Yeah, you know, when watching the, um, and we'll get to New England, uh, we can save this most of this uh, conversation for later, but when I watched the New England uh, Dolphins, I didn't watch the entire game, but I watched quite a bit of it. And uh, the one thing that the Patriots did against the Dolphins is they played like seven defensive backs for over 50% of the snaps on defense. And so they took their two linebackers out and replace them with defensive backs. And so when Fitzpatrick was trying to throw the ball, uh, New England was only rushing three sometimes. Uh, sometimes they ran four. They really didn't blitz. They dropped everybody back into coverage and had everybody covered. It was crazy. There were so many defensive backs on the field. It was, was kind of nuts. Now, if they do something like that to Seattle, uh, they can uh, force Seattle to run with Chris Carson and Carlos Hyde, which is a a great second option to be able to have if you're Seattle mm-hmm. um, and, and eventually can wear down that sort of a defense. So we'll see, see how that goes. So um, speaking of the, the, the passing though, I want to kind of get back to that really quick with Russell Wilson. So Seattle had the most, uh, was the most pass heavy team uh, on first and second downs in week one, mm-hmm. 68%. Um, so that was, it was, it was kind of nice because Pete Carroll always talks about sticking with the hot hand, whether it's Chris Carson or it's going to be Carlos Hyde or whatever. They'll stay with that player and they'll just kind of ride that. And they did that this time with Russell Wilson. Um, and it, it, I think it, it really gave everyone hope. And it, to me, and I'm not one of those guys typically that's like throw, 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 let Russ cook, all that kind of stuff. I, I appreciate the balance of the offense, but... Um, to be able to do that, I think adds an element that this team was lacking before and elevates them, I think, slightly into the conversation of legitimate Super Bowl contenders. If they can kind of keep this sort of offensive juggernaut thing going on, what do you think? Well, Kate? I think that they, I, I agree. I think we've talked about this for the last you know couple months um, on this show is that their skill position players as a group, the running backs, wide receivers, tight ends, um, they've got a great group of all of that. And to take it out of Russell Wilson's hands and not let him use all the new toys that he has, I think is not using your talent. It's not putting your, your talent in its best position to be successful. And I think Pete Carroll recognizes that. Uh, he's got a team that needs to score points. He's got a defense that will have its moments, but will also give up some yards and points because of some deficiencies we'll talk about here in a few, but they need to score more points this year than they did last year. Their defense isn't, isn't good enough to sit back and give up on possessions. We saw that in this game. They were aggressive. It was great. They did exactly what we wanted them to do. And of course it worked. Uh, it was fun. Um, and we we're talking about the passing game. Do you know that Russell Wilson completed passes to nine different targets? That's crazy, especially when you consider that 
he, um, Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf were both targeted eight times. Mm -hmm. But you're right, nine Seahawks caught passes in this game, um, which is a great problem to have. I mean, and you take a look at Chris Carson's involvement out of the backfield. I think that uh, six receptions, 45 yards, and two touchdowns as a yeah. receiver. And, and both of that second touchdown was kind of the relief valve thing. That was it was a planned uh, pass. It was a screen, uh, yeah. Uh, underneath to him, that screen though was crazy. That screen was a really nice, well developed play that uh, we don't see very often from the Seahawks, and it worked to perfection. I love that play. Mm-hmm. So. How about the uh, the defense really quick? And we'll kind of jump back and forth. But Jamal Adams, dude, I unbelievable stat line. 12 tackles, two tackles for loss, two quarterback hits, a sack. He rushed the passer 12 times, almost had the interception at the end there, and Diggs and him kind of came down with it together, and Diggs, Diggs grabbed that. He's only the second defensive back in NFL history with that stat line in his first game as a Seattle Seahawks. Well, I think it goes to show you, one, why the Seahawks gave up so much for him. Because he is a guy on defense that he will make everybody better because he makes so many plays that teams will start trying to figure out where he is and go in another direction. And and they're going to start to limit what they do in order to avoid Adams. And you start doing things like that. And now you're just making it easier on the other team. So yeah. um, it, it's going to be, it's a, it's a good, uh, a good thing for the Seahawks just to have that kind of just dominant playmaker in there. Um, there were some other interesting things that happened in this game on the defensive side beyond him. I mean, he was fantastic, and I think we're going to be talking about him a lot. But, you know, Marquise Blair was third on the team with uh, seven tackles. Yeah, that tied, and a huge hit at, on that special teams yep, play. That tied Bobby Wagner. Marquise Blair, the third safety, had the same number of tackles as our all-pro middle linebacker. Just kind of let that sink in a little bit. Um, He was all over the field. He got a lot of playing time. He got a lot of snaps, and that's great. And they did that. They also had um, uh, Leno Hill on the field a lot. He had five tackles. So the Seahawks were playing with four safeties for a bunch of snaps. Yeah, that was interesting. And so what did you think of that big dime sort of Oh, I loved it. I, I love it. Now You're it, talking about getting your best players on the field. Now, I would prefer Ugo Amadi over um, Leno Hill, but, I mean, look at what Leno Hill did in this game. Like, uh, of those five tackles, three of them were stopping a guy short of the sticks when it looked like nice. they were going to get a first down. I mean, he, he did give up that big play, and Pete Carroll, you know, said that was probably the worst play on the defense. Um, you know, when Julio Jones beat him mm-hmm. um, down down the seam, but uh, yeah, I I agree. You know, people will point to the defensive stat line in this game: Seattle giving up 500 yards and all that kind of stuff. But that was after Seattle scored 14 points in the first quarter and 14 points in the third quarter, and re- had a had a lead. We would never give up. You know, so. They were in a prevent situation, mm-hmm. um, and they were giving up a lot of yards underneath. They really were, and um, you know. And in addition, Atlanta, along with Matt Ryan, is a great offensive uh, team with a lot of weapons there. And um, I still think it was the right approach to be able to give up those yards and not give up the, the, 
the point. Yeah, I mean, this is what you're going to see from uh, Seattle a lot this year with the way that their um, defense is constructed. They're going to give up yards, but they're they're hopefully not going to let teams turn that into points. Um, and that's fine. So what did you think, though, of the, of the grades? Like pro football focus, let me just lay this out really quick and see what you think. Uh, Dunbar had a 40.6 grade, 35.6 in coverage. Blair had a 44.9 grade, 40.6 in coverage. Griffin, 49.7 in coverage. Diggs, 52.3 in coverage. Flowers, 53.5 in coverage. 287 yards and 18 catches combined for Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley. Uh, I think that's um, ain't, ain't crazy. To be honest, um, I just think that's it's insane. Like it's just it's so not grounded in reality. I mean, you're talking about uh, a team that was in prevent defense for the entire fourth quarter. Uh, the Falcons were in must throw now mode for the entire second half. It's funny, Keith. It kind of reminded me of last year's game. So Seattle's defense allowed 506 yards against the Falcons last Sunday, that was the most yards uh, since the last time they allowed 510 yards against the Falcons mm-hmm. last year, you know, and they, they, they went up big last year, 28 to three or whatever it was. And then they came all the way back and we held them. And this game was this similar. We spread the scoring out a little bit more, but it, it came in bunches. So we were up quite a, quite a bit early and, um, and they did. They tried to to throw their way back into the game, and I think we did a good job overall. I was, I was pleasantly surprised with the pressures that we were able to get, the big plays that we did make when we needed to make them, the stops. Talk about the fourth down tries that that the mm-hmm. um, Atlanta had. We stopped all four. We scored after we we had those stops. I think on three of the four. Um, so I think overall, got to give the defense credit um, for doing what they needed to do. Yeah, because if the if the Falcons had kicked field goals instead of going for it on fourth down on some of those, we're not it, it doesn't change the score line. Right? No. Yeah, you're you're talking about uh going into the last few minutes of the game and they're still down by two two scores. Right? Um at what you know when the CX kicked that field goal in the fourth quarter and made it three scores, it was over. And the Falcons knew it. And so they were just they were just throwing and they were throwing. And there's there's some stuff in this game that I think they need to work on. Um, Dunbar did look rusty at times, especially in the first half. Yep. Um, Griffin made some mistakes that was kind of like mm, okay. And then yep. you had that one where the two uh, players ran into each other, the two Seahawks, and left. Um, Calvin was Ridley. it Ridley wide open, yes. open with no right. one within 20 yards of him in the corner of the end zone for the, the world's yep. easiest touchdown. Um, right. So there, I mean, there were some of that, but at the same time, like when it mattered, the guys were getting hit the moment the ball was there. Guys were covered. They, Matt Ryan was um, having to fit the ball into tiny, tiny windows. And when he couldn't do that, the Seahawks defense won and got off the field. And, you know, Matt Ryan's one of the most accurate quarterbacks in the NFL. He's going to be one of those guys that if anyone's going to be able to hit those tiny windows, it's going to be him. What did you think of the overall attitude shift? Notice that uh, was noticeable to me that the hitting, the aggressiveness, the, um, the celebration after the hits, all that kind of stuff. 
seemed to be more so than any other game last year that last several years. Mm-hmm. Th- seemed like it was coming from Adams. I mean, Adams was the guy he was, was kind of out there. He was definitely the, a big part of it. He's just such a, he has so much energy on the field and everyone else is going to feed on it. He's just that lightning bug that charges everyone. And it's, it's great. Like I'm all, well, and he makes it. plays at every level on the defense. He does. I mean, my goodness, Keith, um, it's, it's so much fun to watch. I just, can't even tell you. So you look right. at look at that stat line, right? 12, um, 12 total tackles, a sacks, two and a half tackles for loss, um, plus all everything he did in coverage and all of that. Find me a game where Jadavian Clowney had that much impact statistically on a game last year. Well, that San Francisco game last year was was crazy, but you know, that's it. So that was kind of the the island performance that Clowney had last year. He was steady in others. He did had uh, the ability to also disappear in some games. He was a just like fantastic uh, you watch the but you watch the Titans game um, uh, yesterday, mm-hmm. and um, you know he really didn't affect the stat line at all. Yeah, and so it's just kind of one of those things. Clowney's a know? fantastic player. Don't get me wrong. I'm not. I'm, and he I'm makes other players around him better. Absolutely, he does. Um, but Adams impacted this game more than Clowney would have if he had been in there. And I you look at the at the the thing where the Seahawks basically if you're talking about uh choosing a top end playmaker to pay, mm-hmm. Adams made a bigger impact on the game than Clowney would have. But then Clowney and made it in, in any game but San Francisco so. last year. And I agree because of his well everything, just his ability to make plays all over the field, um he's going to continue to have that kind of impact. He's exactly what the defense needed. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just going to say it. You know, it's just one of those deals where he's just a Pete Carroll type player that we have been lacking. I mean, even when Thomas was here the last couple of years and had kind of the injuries that interrupted those things, he just lacked that a little bit. And, and when Chancellor went out. Cam, yeah. Cam was yeah, the guy. It, it, yeah. He, it just, there's just been that missing thing, that alpha dog, that, uh, that's that playmaker that just cannot be slowed down, uh, slowed down. And, uh, I'm, I'm here for it, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm totally here for so it. So the first major play, um, by a defensive or by a pass rusher, um, of the season was LJ Collier forcing an intentional grounding. It should have been a sack, should have been called a sack. Um, yeah, that was nice. But instead, they called it an in- intentional grounding and didn't give him credit for the sack. But um, who out of anyone had on their Seahawks bingo card for LJ Collier to have the first significant uh, quarterback pressure of the yeah? 2020 I mean, that's season. really big. I mean, that is really big to have him show up. And he showed in, up in, in other game. plays too. It wasn't just he that did one. show up in other plays. Let's talk about the sacks. So Seattle had three sacks. We had a bunch of pressures. Um, it wasn't a great, uh, but it did give me hope. Mm-hmm. It gave me hope. Now, uh, you take a look at that, and then you take a look at um, Jamal Adams had his sack coming off the edge. And um, I just thought that was the most lightning quick, boom, boom sack mm-hmm. that I've seen in a long time from a defensive back. He just came in, no hesitation, dropped Ryan immediately, and it was awesome. And then the uh, Mayoa later in the game, 
in, in kind of a, you know, it wasn't a critical situation, but they were marching down the field around the 20 yard line, decided to go for it to kick field goal. And, uh, Mayo had chased down Ryan from behind and, and leaped forward, left his feet and, and wrapped him up. And, uh, I thought that was a great sack, perfect timing. And on a fourth down, it was really kind of critical to get the, get those guys off the field. And we went down, I believe, and we scored again right after that mm-hmm. to kind of seal the game. Yeah. I mean, it was, um, defensively, I thought it was, it wasn't a great game. I mean, like, there were plenty of mistakes, um, to go around and, and mistakes that we made. There, there was some, some gashing being done of the run defense by, um, uh, the Falcons, uh, early on. Yeah. That um, was mildly concerning early. Uh, but they tightened that up a little bit and then, they got a big lead and it didn't matter whether they could run or not because right. they weren't going to run <laughs> when you're down right. by a bunch. I tell you what, we're going to get tested this next next game. We'll talk about that. Though. Yep. Um, so let me ask you this. What do you think, uh, looking just at snap counts, is there anything at all that kind of stood out to you as far as players that got time, players that didn't get time? How about the players that were left off the active list to begin with, Alton Robinson and DJ Dow? Um, those two surprised me because if you look at the packages where they used, um, uh, Homer, Homer. I'm like, yeah, I agree. Those, he, what does he had? He had, um, uh, two catches for four yards and three runs for negative one yards. Talk about being as ineffective as absolutely possible. Um, that was Travis Homer's day. In, a, in an offense that was really dynamic and moving the ball up and down the field, he was the guy that was kind of the negative. Yeah, and after everything that we'd heard about how good DJ Dallas has been in the passing game and every his ability to just uh, make all the right reads as far as blocking and, and have a very well-developed route tree and everything, that decision I was wondering about, I think maybe it had to do with the, the backup uh, punt and kick return situation mm-hmm. um, is why they went that way. But still, like, that was crazy. Well, I noticed Homer did get the initial kickoff and, and uh, looked timid he, running up into the... Yeah, he did. Um, yeah, in there. So. And then um, to have Alton Robinson, who has drawn nothing but just incredible praise from everybody who's seen yeah. anything from him, to be an active where more... Um, Devontae Moore was uh, out there um, active. And he actually had a couple and of that tackles. Could, but. Yeah, and that could do a very well just been a veteran thing, first game. I want to make sure uh, that sort of thing from Pete Carroll, because I agree, Alton Robinson not on the active roster, not dressed, is, a, um, is on a team that you absolutely know for a fact needs as much pass rush as they can possibly muster Mm -hmm. is is uh, perplexing um i want to see if that changes this week i don't know who would be affected on the roster in order to bring those two guys up but i would rather see dallas i think i we know what we have in homer i want to see what we have in dallas i understand freddie swain has done a tremendous job in in practice uh, with kick returns and all that kind of stuff let's see what he's got Mm -hmm. Uh, there seems to be a little bit more dynamic playmaking ability out of those two and then Alton Robinson I I think for sure you you bring a guy like that in you know you got you look at uh, Dramonte Moore he had 20 snaps on defense um Brian Monet had 15 snaps 
you know, those guys weren't in there a lot. I think uh, Rasheem Green uh, only had 30 snaps. I think he had a shoulder. We'll see yeah, what he got that banged turns up. into. He got banged up in there, was out for a while, came back um, at the end of the game and played. Um, but that injury is very concerning because this defensive line does not have depth. And to yeah. lose anybody right now until they can, until someone else steps up and shows that they belong, or until they go sign a veteran uh, that's available, they are, they're hurting, and they're thin. They, they can't, Absolutely. they cannot afford to lose a guy who's going to get considerable playing time like Rasheem Green. Well, I did notice that Rasheem Green and L.J. Collier both had thirty snaps, mm-hmm. and um, you had a guy. Uh, play like like Blair um, in the nickel a lot, taking uh, Urban and moving him up in, onto the line of scrimmage. Urban had eighty five percent of the defensive snaps. Um, and a lot so of those you were kind of see, yeah, and you can kind of see that scheme thing going on in the defense, the the push pull there with with the linebacker moving up into the to the front. Um, anything else that that stands out to you? You know, uh, Blair had seventy percent of the snaps which is a nice indication in the first game of the season that he's really going to be uh, a player that they're going to count on. Agreed. I, I think that is great. Um, I, I would just say the one last thing about the defense is they gave up some yards on the ground early on, and the offense made it so that the Falcons didn't feel like they could continue to run it. So that played into Seattle where they were, um, so they didn't have to worry about whether or not they gave up yards on the ground. But it was concerning because the way this defense is built uh, with, you know, the mm-hmm. guys that they have out there playing are meant to be run stuffers. Guys like uh, LJ Collier uh, at the five tech and um, Puna Ford at the one and, and Uh, Brian Monet, that's the name that's not coming to mind, um, as the the third defensive tackle that rotates in there. Um, those guys are run stuffers. And for them to be getting gashed like they were early on is mm-hmm. very concerning. Yeah, you know, quite a few of the runs uh, were getting to the second level. But also, I have to hand it to the, the Seahawks. Uh, plays were being made behind the line of scrimmage. I think Bobby Wagner had a really nice run stuff where he came up through uh, the gap and made a play behind the line of scrimmage. Jamal Adams had uh, a few tackles for loss behind the line of scrimmage. So th- those weren't without, um, we can't just not mention, I mean, you mentioned uh, Jamal Adams' stat line with the tackles for loss before. I thought I'd throw that in there. Um, so, you know, overall though, Keith, what can you say? I mean, for a first game, I think the offensive line, uh, you know, was, was iffy. Uh, to start, but really came together in the second half. They only allowed three quarterback hits. So they took all those uh, three sacks, seven quarterback hits before half. Uh, the second half, they real, really settled down. Not sure exactly what adjustments were made, but that was nice to see. Mm-hmm. Um, well, the offensive line, I think, you know, the offensive line is one of the slowest things to come together uh, during a training camp in preseason. It's just there's so much uh, communication that has to happen. People have to move simultaneously they have to make the same reads it just it's just one of those things that happens slowly and and takes some time so it kind of it doesn't shock me and I'm not that worried about the fact that uh the offensive line didn't look good in the first half um especially on the right side where it looked like they're just weren't talking at all 
Um, there were stunts that were happening and, you know, you'd see three guys blocking one person and somebody else going free. And there's got to be a communication there. There's got to be some talking there that wasn't happening. That's fixable. It's entirely fixable. Um, and that's what, what gives me hope there. Plus, you look at the, the guys that they were trying to block. I mean, we're talking about uh, two of the best in Dante Fowler Jr. and Grady Jarrett. Those guys are... And Tank, whatchamacallit. Yeah. Um, McKinley. McKinley. He was all over the place. Those guys, those guys are good. Those guys are just straight up good players. Um, you know, Grady Jarrett's a dominant player on the inside. Um He's going to, you know, eat most guards. So the fact that Lewis struggled to contain him in the first half doesn't bother me as much because he was going to dominate no matter who we put in there, whether it was Simmons or if we had kept Fluker. Um, Grady Jarrett was going to win those. And so, you know, Lewis made some mistakes. There were some communication problems um, with him and, and Shell on that side. But overall... Uh, Everything that I saw is correctable. This isn't a an Effetti situation where he simply just lacks the foot speed to do what we want him to do. Um, no, these people have the opportunity to be successful. They just need to. Um, it really comes down to what I, from what I saw, at least in the first half, it was much more a communication problem than a talent or physical ability technique problem, and I that gives me hope. It does, um, that it's going to get better. And the fact that they tightened it up considerably in the second half uh, is a very good sign. Were you surprised at all um, by the lack of rushing attempts, given the fact that we were up uh, two to three scores in the second half? Um, And when you take a look at Chris Carson and Carlos Hyde, I think Chris Carson had, what, seven carries? Carlos Hyde, you know, four maybe? That's the other way around. Uh, Carson had six and Hyde had seven. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Carson, so, I mean, Carson also had six receptions, so he got 12 touches. Um, whereas, you know, Hyde didn't have any, so it's not like they were intentionally, uh, giving Hyde more than, than Carson, but neither, what I'm saying neither though one of them is was effective. every single Seahawks season that we've watched under Pete Carroll, that second half looks completely different except for this game. Yeah. Um, but part of it is that the running game was very ineffective. Chris Carson, six carries, 21 yards, three and a half yards per carry. Uh, Carlos Hyde, seven carries, 23 yards, uh, 3.1 yards per carry. That's not a good running game. So I have no problem with the fact that they went away from the running game because it was ineffective. And they went with what was effective, and that was letting Russell Wilson do his Russell Wilson things. Wilson, by the way, right. led the entire so team rushing with three rushes for 29 yards. <laughs> Granted, yeah, 20, Russell Wilson, that, that scramble looked great. 28 of those yards came on one scramble, but he, and, and, it, and it looked good. Yeah. He outrushed the other, the other guys. Um, I was, that was interesting. Cause that was what in the first quarter yeah. and I was, I was just thinking, wow, how long has it been since we've seen a planned um, option uh, where Russ keeps it almost intentionally from the get-go. I don't think he was ever going to let that ball go and turned it up and then uh, made a nice cut, put his foot in the ground. And uh, yeah, that was a great gain at an opportune time. I Russell Wilson, unbelievable. All right, so uh, we are going to transition into our second segment of the uh, 
of the day, uh, and we're going to talk about New England coming up. But before we do that, Keith wanted to, to, to take a look at Twitter and find out uh, what folks are saying about the Seahawks and, uh, and anything else that comes up sub- subject matter-wise in the hot tweet takes. <laughs> and uh, we're going to get some instant reactions to that. Yeah, so basically uh, it's week one, and I always say to work hard to avoid overreactions after week one normally. And when there's no preseason, there's none of that. And you have all this, all everything's new. Like all we're, we're seeing some of these players for the very first time. Um, and people are still going to react really strongly. So um, in that, in that vein, I was like, okay, let's take some of these big things that may or may not be overreactions, but they sound like it. If you don't, if you, <laughs> if you, um, especially if you remove any context, and you um, boil it down to this, and then so I'm going to frame it, and then um, we'll see if if uh, if Bill here is going to buy or sell that particular statement. So the first sounds good. The first statement is Russell Wilson, which we already talked about, and his incredible efficiency: four touchdowns to four incompletions, um, and just absolutely dominant play. Like we've we haven't seen uh, we see from him all the time, but we really haven't seen him be allowed to take over a game early and and often and just dominate. Um, so the statement would be that if the play calling stays similar to what it was in Week One. Russell Wilson will be the 2020 NFL MVP. Yes. So I am I am buying that. You're buying I mean, that. Yeah, because um if you're going to put up 325 yards a game and you're going to throw four touchdowns, you extrapolate that out to an entire season. That's like 56 touchdowns or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. And then the incompletions, no interceptions, so you'd have 56 touchdowns, zero interceptions. And a passer rating of 146 or whatever. I mean, that's insane off the charts, never been done before type of play. Um, so if he were to do that for 16 games, obviously he would be the uh, the MVP and and the Seahawks would be winning the Super Bowl um, because that's, that is an amazing stat line. And, you know, it's, it's just one of those things that I think we're spoiled um, that we don't uh, sometimes just step back and, and realize the greatness that we are able to see right now. This is a Hall of Fame, fame trajectory that Russell Wilson is having, and we'll be able to watch it right now, full full stop, like amazing. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it, early on when we were seeing some of the stuff that he was doing, people were talking about him being, you know, an instant Hall of Famer, and I was always like, you know, being a Hall of Famer is not just about having three or four great years; it's about having eight or nine or mm-hmm. ten. Uh, we're yes. far enough into his career. He hasn't really had a bad year. Uh, no, he, no and he has not. He hasn't had a bad year. He's had eight good years. He's been um, a pro bowler every single year. He's, he continues to get better. Um, and now we're seeing just greatness. 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 Uh, yeah. He is a Hall of Famer. This isn't a trajectory anymore. He's he's He is a future Hall of Famer. I think it's very safe to say that. And he will win the MVP if they keep giving him the ball and letting him play. All right. I've got one for you. Okay. I kind of, I kind of threw these together. You, you texted me uh, with this idea uh, late, so I didn't get uh, immediately after the game reactions, but I do have a few different things. This one is a, uh, an Arizona writer, not Seahawks related. I wanted to just get your take though on it. Uh, it he says, uh, this is Josh. 
uh, Wellness Fuss. He's from ESPN Arizona. Uh, huge win for the Cardinals, 24-20 over the 49ers. Folks, it's early, but this division is up for grabs, quote-unquote. What do you think? You, you buying or selling that? I'll buy that. Um, yeah, it's early. It is. It's early. <laughs> Why not? It's early. Yeah. And the thing is that the conventional wisdom going in was that if any team was going to run away with the division, it was going to be San Francisco. Uh, because they kind of did last year. And yeah, the Seahawks managed to keep pace and then, you know, beat the 49ers and turned it into this, you know, sprint to the finish line that the Seahawks lost. But, you know, the 49ers last year jumped out to 10 and 0 start. I mean, they were, they were a really good team. Um, and so if it, they were scary. Yeah. They were scary. If any team yeah. was going to run away with the division, it was going to be the 49ers. Um, and the one thing that they needed to do to have that happen was for Jimmy Garoppolo to take that next big step. And he, what he showed us yesterday was that he hasn't taken a step, let alone a big step. Um, and he's still just an average guy. And with that in mind, and you think of how well Seattle played, and then Arizona looked outstanding when they needed to, especially offensively. This is a. There are three teams that can all vie for this title. Um, you know, and this the division. I mean, they they won their game. I mean, I'll hand it to the Rams. They played a, a decent game there. Yeah, I mean, you know, I watched enough of that game to be very you know unimpressed. Um, despite the fact that they ended up getting the W, but uh, overall, like it's just, I think you got to. It's going to be a very competitive year. Yeah, I mean, the Seahawks are going to have to keep winning. Let's put it that way: the Seahawks are going to have to keep winning. To take this division. Yep. So the 49ers also, if you look at their next five games, they are probably going to go 5-0. and And if they don't, then we might be looking at them falling off this year. Because they play the Jets, the Giants, the Eagles, the um, Dolphins, and I don't remember who the last one was. Yeah, there's a bunch of layups there, isn't but there? But yeah, it's, it, it was, maybe it was Washington, I think. Um, and it's just... And they looked effective, too. It's just, Washington did. Yeah, but it's also, I mean... They looked terrible in the first half and then looked good in the second half. And the Eagles did the other. Um, neither of them looked like a good football team uh, this week. All right. So, what's, your, what's your next one, Keith? So my next one is uh, eight minutes left to go in the game. Tom Brady had 157 yards and two interceptions. He did get um, touchdown and a bunch of uh, Point or a bunch of yards in garbage time to make his stat line not terrible with 250 yards and two touchdowns, two interceptions. But overall, I mean, for the, the bulk of the game, he was genuinely not a good player. Um, are you buying and selling that Tom Brady is washed? Um, boy, that's an interesting question. You know, um, the Saints are, are no joke. You know, they've got the one of the most talented rosters. Uh, in the league, uh, they they put up 34 points on the Buccaneers. You can't blame Tom Brady for that. Tom Brady's offense put up 23 mm. points, except for that Tom Brady threw a pick six. Okay, fair enough. I mean, you know, players <laughs> are gonna uh, players are gonna make mistakes. Listen, I'm probably not gonna buy that that Tom Brady's washed. Um, I think it's way too early in the season to kind of figure that out. But clearly. Uh, I think folks were uh, anticipating that Tom Brady would make the Tampa Bay Buccaneers uh, season 
And it, it just goes to show you that uh, you have to have a, a full supporting cast around you to be able to have success in the NFL. So we'll see what happens there. Last year, he was an average quarterback statistically, right dead in the middle of the NFL. Just throwing that piece out there. Um, yeah. Despite his reputation, he was not good last year. And no, I agree. There's been some week. digression. I, you know, he still has that quick release, and we've talked about that. There's still some things, leadership qualities, and so forth that uh, Tom Brady still possesses. But you know, you can't take away father time. Mm-hmm. So we'll see what happens there. Okay, I've got one for you. Uh, and 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 I took these uh, tweets. I thought you were going to do tweets, and and so I may have misheard you. Um, but Curtis Rogers uh, at a kid from Kent. So he's, he works for 710 ESPN uh, Radio. Uh, his uh, statement was, Jamal Adams is already the second most important Seahawk behind Russell Wilson, not behind uh, Bobby Wagner. Second most important Seahawk behind Russell Wilson, and there's really not a debate after a little more than a quarter. He wrote that after the first quarter. So uh, are you buying or selling that, Keith? That's tough because statistically and what you saw all over the field, it not just in the first quarter, but through the entire game, it would be really easy to buy that. But we also know what Bobby Wagner means to that defense and the ability of the other linebackers to react and do what they do because he's there and, and all the calls that he makes and every, you know, everything that he does to help the other guys out, um, you know, in terms of communication, getting guys lined up and, and attacking the right gap and that kind of stuff, it's it's really hard for me to take that and just straight up buy it because we're talking about an all-pro middle linebacker who's one of the best we've ever seen. But if I'm basing it on that game, I I would buy because Jamal Adams is going to have an instant impact and upgrade on this entire defense in a way that we haven't seen a player do since Cam Chancellor. Yeah. And this guy is kind of bottled up into a hybrid of Chancellor and Thomas, mm-hmm. you know, cause he plays all over the field, like every, every depth position out there, you know, he's on the line. He's, a, he's a, right up at the line of scrimmage as a, as a strong safety, a true strong safety. Uh, they, they're blitzing him They're uh, He's dropping back into coverage. He's making plays down the field. He almost had that interception. That was a, 40 yard bomb at the end there. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to say that yet. I'm not going to buy this yet. I think Adam still has a lot to prove that he is a player that makes players around him better. Um, right now, Jamal Adams looks great, but is he truly making everyone better or is he forcing people to, to when he goes up and, and takes those chances when he, you know, dives for a ball that he thinks he's going to be able to get, but just misses, does that mean that that a player is going to get twenty yards down the field because he missed that play, and is somebody else going to have to come and clean that up? You know, so there are some chances inherent with the way that Jamal Adams plays. He's just so darn athletic and so instinctive as a player that he makes most of those. But there will be times where you're gonna you're gonna yell at Jamal Adams as a player because he missed something. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how the team reacts around that. Do you got time for one more? I do. Um, so basically, uh, so I am getting these from Twitter. I didn't write down who, who, uh, um, oh, okay. I didn't write down who actually, um, tweeted them out, but these are things that I actually read on Twitter. So the last one would come from, uh, 
the Patriots, who this is going to be our nice transition segue question to get into um, our preview of our next game. But the the Patriots won. They won fairly easily, and they did it behind only 150 yards passing from Cam Newton, but mm-hmm. seven or 15 rushes, 75 yards. It was a ground and pound um, game plan for them, where Newton did a lot of the running. Um, so are you buying and selling that the Patriots can win, uh, with Cam Newton carrying that kind of load all season? Yeah, no, (laughs) 14 rushes. Um, that's, that's a lot. Um, that's the most rushes that Cam Newton's ever had as a player in regulation. Um, 76 yards, two touchdowns. That's a great game by Cam Newton. That's a lot to ask for him. A week in, week out. I don't believe so. Now, New England has uh, Sonny Michelle and uh, Rex Burkhead and James White, and they all share the load. Like, you know, if you look at the snap counts from that game, those guys got equal touches, equal carries, equal opportunities, and Cam Newton just kind of dominated. The interesting thing about New England, though, um, is Cam Newton doesn't have a lot of weapons um, to throw to. And so. It's going to be very interesting to see uh, when they face a, a really good team like the Seahawks, how they, um, you know, the Seahawks, by definition, they, they've got an average defense, but I think that we have the potential to, to be more than that. It'll be very interesting to see how New England chooses to attack the Seahawks. I have a feeling that they're going to go in and, and uh, try to work the same sort of offensive game plan. So I would imagine that you're going to see some play, uh, some play action, but you're also going to see some read options. You're going to see uh, some designated runs on purpose by Cam Newton, as well as some scrambles. Uh, you're going to see their running game uh, being fed the ball at least early in this game, um, because I don't believe that they're going to be very successful throwing against Seattle secondary. Um, Seattle secondary is going to look completely different to everyone compared to the Atlanta game because uh, coverages are going to be able to be a little tighter in this game. Um, and um, you're you're going to see Seattle probably playing closer to the line of scrimmage with their defensive backs. I think a guy like um, uh, Marquise Blair in this game is going to have a, an amazing game. A guy like Adams is going to have an amazing game because those guys are going to be able to affect the run as equally adept as they are defending uh, against the pass. And so I don't know that they have as much success in this game offensively as they did against the Dolphins. Um, and so, yeah, my, I'm, I'm not buying that. I, I don't think that that's sustainable for them. And uh, when they do get in trouble, when they get behind in games, they're going to have a very difficult time clawing back into games this year. So I do not believe, based on their at least their initial success in that first game, New England looked really good. Um, but I don't believe that that is going to be sustainable. I think they're a 500 at best team this year. So how many games did Newton play last year? Yeah. He just played a few, right? Yep. A and he got hurt. How, how old is he? And, and who's the backup? Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> Jarrett Stidham. Um, the, Ryan Hoyer. The Patriots are in a position where Cam Newton's health is going to determine the quality of their year. Uh, They need to protect him better than they did in that game. I get 
going out and getting the win and you have a you have a freak of nature uh athlete and you're going you want to use it but now that you've used it and you've got other teams scared of the of all the different crazy things that he can do you need to dial it back a little bit so that way you keep your your um the problem is they don't have anybody to throw to i mean they got uh Keneal, harry um and the, and a couple other guys and they're just okay yeah. You know, here's the deal. Cam Newton in six regular season game against the Seahawks has got a one in five record. And he's got five TDs and four interceptions and a passer rating of 77.8. And he's facing a better quarterback. He's facing a Hall of Fame level quarterback that's going to have a passer rating that's going to blow his out of the water. And Seattle is going to be able to score points on New England. Now, New England has a pretty decent secondary. Stephon Gilmore was the 2019 Defensive Player of the Year. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're, like I said before earlier in the show, they, they'll drop seven into coverage. Um, so they're, they will make you uh, either be very patient, and, and if your line can hold up and block for you, uh, Russell Wilson is going to have a tremendous day. Uh, if they decide as a team to to just take what New England's going to give them and everything underneath, then we'll have to do that, and it'll be kind of a longer day. But I don't know if you can beat Russell Wilson with that game plan, because if you're only rushing three, you are legitimately yeah. giving him forever. Yes. Because he is going to be able to move around, get outside, back up, move around some more, and you're going to make these, you know, 200 run on you too. 280 pounds guys chase Russell Wilson around and you're going to tire your line out like crazy. And if he decides he wants to and has an opportunity, he will run. And if he gets 8 yards or 6 yards or whatever, bam, that's a positive play for the for the defense. If they're constantly dropping people back and you're giving Russell Wilson forever, to wait for guys like Lockett and Metcalf to get open, he is going to beat you because you cannot cover the entire field, yeah. uh, no matter how many guys you've got. Uh, we, what we've seen... And nobody can cover DK Metcalf. And Lockett's proven that he can get open against anybody. Yeah, both those guys so are. I think it's a long day for those guys. I'd just be completely honest. I'm looking at this game going, I don't know how New England's going to score consistently in this game, it seems to me. And as long as Seattle figures out a way to get New England off the field on third down, um, and Cam Newton likes to pull the ball a lot and run, Mm -hmm. if they can stop Cam Newton from running, and I think the key is Jamal Adams and, you know, Bobby Wagner and uh, Marquise Blair coming up. Um, Those those guys have a big role in this game. And if they do, it's over because Russell Wilson's going to score. You know, and I think if Seattle, I think you'll see a lot more running in this game. I think it'll be a little bit more of a balanced attack by Seattle um, just because they're going to try to take advantage of whatever New England's going to give them. And if New England's going to give them some running lanes early in this game, Seattle's going to try to take advantage of that. Mm-hmm. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, agreed. Um, I think that, that when you look at this game, uh, the Patriots are going to have success. Uh, offensively, because you've got Cam Newton, you've got that great running game. Their offensive line is is good, and so they're going to be able to get yards consistently when they need them. But the question is: is if you're running the ball all the time, which they will be, and you're getting five, six yards, you know, at a at a time, and you're getting first downs, whatever, 
it takes one penalty to completely derail that. And do they have the ability to overcome a penalty or a sack or um, a dropped pass or that kind of mm-hmm. stuff? And I just, I worry, I worry, because um, I don't worry about the Patriots. They can lose all they want. Um, but I would say if I was a fan of theirs, I would worry that they lack that dynamic element. Um, and they're going to be dependent on so much this sustained uh, consistency that their offense is going to bog down at times. Um, defensively, I think we might be underselling their defense a little bit because their defense is well. They very, faced Ryan Fitzpatrick and the Dolphins. Yeah, but look at what they did last year, and it's a lot of the same guys. The Ryan Fitzpatrick threw three interceptions. That's why the Dolphins only scored eleven points. New England only scored twenty-one. They could have scored twenty-eight, but uh, Harry fumbled the ball through the end zone, and mm-hmm. it was a, it was a touchback. Listen, I got a couple of uh, key little uh, things for you. Okay. Uh, Seattle's favored by four points. It's the first time in 64 regular season, straight regular season games that New England has not been favored in a game. Isn't that crazy? And That's crazy four, to me. And That's... four points is significant. Yeah. Um, it means in neutral field, Seattle would still be favored by one to one and a half. Yeah. And I think it probably should end up being more. I think it'll prove over time that Seattle will probably should have been favored more in this game, but we'll see. Uh, another key thing here. This is interesting to me. I mean, this is this is wild. The combined age of Pete Carroll and Bill Belichick is 137 years and 162 days old. <laughs> is the oldest head coaching matchup in NFL history, Keith, and it's not even close. That that's funny. That's just hilarious because I know Pete Carroll is the oldest NFL coach, and it's now and happy birthday. Uh, by the way, yep. and it's it's now by a, by kind of a wide margin um, because those that were close to well, him, Bill Belichick is sixty eight. Pete Carroll just turned sixty nine. So, so well, okay, so it's those two, and then a big gap because right. a lot of the other coaches that were you know up there in that in that age bracket, they've retired or been fired and and have since retired, and they've kind of moved on. Um, it's really those two guys, and uh, to honestly. I'm looking around the league and I know, you know, Sean McVay and Sean Payton and um, Jay Gruden, those guys get a lot of press for being good young coaches, but I don't know. Is there, Sean is, Payton's not very uh, young anymore. Yeah, true. But um, is there a, is there a coach you'd rather have coaching your team than Bill Belichick or Pete Carroll? Yeah, no, no, but I'm an old school guy. I admit it. I'm, you know, I'm an older fan. I've been around since 1976, since the beginning. Uh, I went to the very first game in the kingdom. I've been, I've been around, but uh, there's just something about the way, and I'm not going to talk about Belichick. He's got his own record, all that kind of stuff, but I'm, I'm very proud to call Pete Carroll the coach of the Seahawks. And I kid you not, Keith, the day he leaves, I will be shedding tears because we have witnessed some of the best football, well, the best football in franchise history, and it continues to this very moment. And he's a great coach, a great motivator, a good human being that treats his players with a ton of respect and allows players to be themselves and to grow up in a system that allows them to be, uh, that puts them in the best position to be successful. And I don't think you can ask uh, a head coach to be anything more. I mean, really, mm-hmm. it's 
Pete Carroll is awesome. Yeah. And, you know, you may disagree with certain play calls or schematics or whatever, but um, he, there's, there's something about Pete where he gets your team ready to play and he, you're in every game and he's given you a chance uh, to be at the, at the dance at the end of every season. And that's all you can ask. See, I look at Pete Carroll, and I I look at at um, look at how he handled Chris Carson last year with the fumbling problem, and how he handled uh, Richard Sherman when he was blowing up on the sidelines uh, there for a while, and the high road that he has taken with regard to Earl Thomas and everything that's gone on there. Um, he is a guy that is very easy to respect, and. Most of the players, not all, most of the players absolutely respect him because he cares about them. He cares about them as people. He wants them to not just become great players, but he wants them to develop as people. Um, and, you know, he, he encouraged the Seahawks to uh, look at what they wanted to do, you know, in terms of, you know, social justice uh, campaigns and that kind of stuff. And he talked to them about the difference between a moment and a movement. And, you know, there was a lot of coaching involved in what he did to help them, you know, take that energy and Chan- the emotion that they that. felt yes. and channel it into something positive that communities, you know, could, could get something out of um, more than just outrage. And just the, those kind of things, I felt like he's a guy that, most players absolutely love to play for. And when you, I mean, yeah, there, you know, you have the Sherman Thomas and, and Michael Bennett's of the world that grow tired of his message and, and eventually, you know, it wears thin on them and whatnot, but there are other guys Look at Bobby Wagner and Russell Wilson, specifically Cam Chancellor was a good one. Um, guys, what do you think in particular about the, the marriage of Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll and the legacy of what that'll mean to, to those two players and what it'll mean to the franchise. Well, I think as it's as time goes on. I think it's been kind of a perfect marriage in that, you know, Wilson's got this um, dynamic, crazy ability, but he's got the cheesiest, most um, you know, stereotypical suburban dad personality. Um, and I think that finding a way to pull the um the greatness out of Wilson and and get him into that leadership role teach him you know all the little facets of everything that he has to do while at the same time stepping back and letting Wilson be great athletically and not trying to force him into a quote unquote system the way uh Mike Holmgren was always doing you know what i mean like he had a very exact system that he wanted his quarterbacks to do. And he would go find one that could run it, not take advantage of the talents of the one that he has already there. Um, And so you have this really good um, synergy between the two of them where they are what the other one needs. You know, Pete Carroll needs a quarterback that's not going to go all Aaron Rodgers or Ben Roethlisberger on him and, you know, talk crap or, or, you know, have problem with play calling or, you know, actively, you know, complain about that they don't throw enough and, and all that stuff during the season. Instead, what he's got 
is Russell Wilson, who is like his biggest cheerleader uh, during the season and has totally got his back. And then in turn, you know, Pete Carroll's got Russ's back and, and uh, Russ can have a bad game and Pete's not going to like, at, even in the slightest bit, um, not going to question his quarterback in any way. And so it's just such a great combination. Um, I think Russell would have been great with any coach. I think Pete Carroll could have won with another quarterback, although I do think Russell Wilson makes winning in the NFL much easier than not. Um, but I just think it's it, the, the reason for the Seahawks' sustained success since 2010 is because of both guys, not one, not the other. Do you think that each uh, player and, and coach uh, introduces the other into the Hall of Fame someday. Oh, absolutely. I, I, I can't see it. Um, I can't see any other player except for maybe Cam Chancellor um, being the guy. Do you think it w- might be a combination of, of players it, that, it might that be. talk about Pete Curry? But I could see Cam Chancellor or maybe even Bobby Wagner, either of those guys introducing uh, Pete Carroll. Um, but... Russell Wilson's the guy, I think. Um, Russell Wilson could potentially have another eight to ten years mm-hmm. legacy uh, with Pete. Now, depending on how long Pete goes, and Pete could go another two years, he could go another six. I don't know what you, I don't know where the the cutoff is for Pete, but I mean, he's having so much fun. He just there's no sign that this is slowing down for him at all. So you'd never know he I mean, was the oldest coach in no. the league if you watch him on game day and watch him run up and down the sideline and just the smile on his face when things or, are or going listening right. to him in press conferences yeah you know he's so on it he's got like so there's much no mental yeah. letdown for him uh it's it's amazing cool i have one final parting take Ooh, go for it this, uh, this is just fun for me because it's fun because it involves the 49ers uh, Seahawks nerd 75 says, quote, the 49ers tank for Trevor Lawrence is off to a great start. Quote, unquote. Yes, I'm buying <laughs> tank 49ers. I love it. I cannot shake. I cannot <laughs> shake my head hard enough at you. Um, no, actually, one of the one of the takes that I was going to um, going to use and, and decided not to at the end was that uh, Garner Michio is going to play too well and he's going to screw up the, the tank for Trevor, uh, That's funny. uh, plan of the Jacksonville Jaguars. That's funny. That'd be great if they won like nine games this year. I mean, they are projected to be a three, four win team and, but they won, knows, they won week right? one. So I got another one for you really quick. Jim Rome said, Russell Wilson joined Steve Young as the only player with 30,000 passing mm-hmm. uh, yards and 4,000 rushing yards and he still never received a single mvp vote that's a total joke quote unquote he's not wrong that is a joke i mean okay so you look at last year and i have zero problem with uh lamar jackson getting the mvp award he was insane the way he was um managing games and with his feet and the the dynamic yards and throwing the ball deep and he was doing everything and it was crazy and he led that team you know, down the stretch with all those wins. And, and it was just, he had a phenomenal year, uh, especially the last like 10 games. I have no problem with Lamar Jackson winning it. 
But Russell Wilson should have been second in the voting. Well, here's the problem with the system itself. Now, it's different in Major League Baseball, or it's different in basketball, where uh, it's a weighted system. Mm-hmm. Um, you rank your top five or your top ten. Exactly. And, then, yeah. and these folks only get one vote. Mm-hmm. One vote. But did, did Jackson win unanimously? Person. Yes. Did he? So that's why Russell Wilson never got a vote. I didn't think he was. I thought Tom Brady got one or Drew Brees got one or what people that is statistic, okay. statistically. That's It's possible. Statistically, you're like, okay, by sheer um, reputation, they're probably going to get some, but they didn't belong in the conversation last year. It was a Russell Wilson versus Lamar right. Jackson uh, situation. And for Wilson not to be the one who got that extra vote or, or, you know, you know what I mean? Like the, if it wasn't, cause I didn't, didn't think it was unanimous. Um, but in, there've been other years where it hasn't been unanimous and Russ didn't get any votes. I don't think it, it doesn't really matter. I mean, all these things are superficial and we're not talking, you know, it's, it's, it is what it is, but, um, you know, it, it'd be interesting to see what happens because I, you know, after this first game and after watching the Seahawks and kind of the way that we follow them so intimately over a long sustained period of time, you can just tell different teams uh, from, from other seasons and so forth and which teams are really good and have good chances, solid opportunities versus others that are, you know, are going to need, you know, some special breaks to get certain places. This team has some very unique and, and, uh, uh, very much an opportunity here to have a, a, a great year, a greatness about this team. And I, I need to see that sustained over over a little bit longer of, of a period. But it's not too early to say that absolutely this Super Bowl window is open for this team and they just need to go take it um, because the, the, the opportunity is there. Yeah, I hear you. Um, I'm all I'm on board with that. I think that Last year, they were a team that got some breaks and it helped them propel them to where they got to. Um, this year, they don't need those same breaks. This is a better team than they were a year ago. And yeah. I think that losing Clowney in the offseason and all of that has masked uh, to a lot of people, both fans of the Seahawks and you know national people and uh, national pundits and fans of other teams, that this is a better team yeah. and a better yeah. roster overall than it was a year ago. They don't need the same yeah. uh, no, breaks in order for them to win as many or more games. All right. So prediction time, New England in town, Sunday night football, prime time. Uh, who do you got? Um, I've got Seattle in this one. I think it's going to be a lower scoring game than we saw. I think um, the Seahawks are going to be able to score some points. I think the Panthers are going to be able to score some points. But I also think both offenses are going to bog down a little bit because the uh, Patriots just aren't dynamic on offense. Um, And the Seahawks are facing a very good secondary with uh, maybe the best defensive coach in the league still uh, in Bill Belichick. And that's going to causing them some some problems and they're going to have some some drives that stall entirely just for scheme reasons and i could see this game being a lower scoring game uh something like 23 to 17 seattle interesting um that's that's uh that's an interesting approach keith i'm going to go completely different direction (laughs) 
Um, I'm still got us winning, but I don't believe that there's anything that's going to stop Seattle's offense, including New England. I think New England's got a lot of new players this year. They're integrating a lot of young guys. Yeah, their defensive backs are are pretty legit, um, but I don't believe it's enough to slow down the Seahawks. I think that that you will see some more rushing in this game, but I think um, Chris Carson and, and Carlos Hyde are itching to get off and get rumbling. And um, I think Seattle goes away in this game. So I think it's tight at, at half. Uh, and it could be, you know, a, a, like a 13 to 10 type of situation, um, possibly. Uh, or uh, New England might have some trouble scoring. It could be like a, you know, 13, 14 to 6 type of a thing with a couple of field goals. And then in, in the second half, I see them pulling away um, and having this being close to like a 31 to 17 type thing. Wow. The, I think the days of having Seattle in one uh, uh, one uh, score wins or, or losses or whatever is over. I think this, this new offense is going to take hold and it's going to be too dynamic for teams like New England who are just average overall uh, to, to be able to slow down Seattle. I think Seattle has too many weapons and too many ways that it can attack you, uh, both on the ground and through the air. And Seattle prevails big in this one. See, I, I will say that um, not every team has a Matt Ryan who is super accurate and, and just overall a very good passer. Uh, Cam Newton is a better quarterback than some people give him credit for. Um but he's also not as good as other people give him credit for. Uh, he is limited in some ways as a passer. And yes. if they get down and he has to throw them back into the game, that's not... He's going to throw interceptions. Exactly. And, and to, to a, a team that has the defensive backs that Seattle has with Diggs and, and Adams and Griffin and Dunbar, like there's going to be balls that are going to be interceptable now they dropped him for the most part in this last game um dunbar had one bounce off his shoulder pad and um you know they had their opportunities and didn't get him until the end but there's going to be interceptable balls in this game especially if the cx have the lead in the second yes. half and if they take him i could i can definitely see what you're saying happening and it, and it just you know the cx starting to run away with it at the end I can also see it just being a slugfest. And it very well could be. So, you know, that's that's Belichick's style. Mm -hmm. That's Pete Carroll's inherent style. Yep. So we'll see. uh, We'll see what what style wins out. All right. So awesome. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Be back next week when uh, the Seahawks take on the Cowboys. Uh, Cowboys come to CenturyLink. So that'll be a, a fun game as well. We'll have all that discussion and uh, we'll review this game, see where we're at, and hopefully we'll be 2-0. and I'm counting on it. Um, follow Keith on Twitter, Myers NFL at MyersNFL. I'm at NWSeahawk. The show is at Hawks Playbook on Twitter. SeahawksPlaybook.com has all the shows. And subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app and on YouTube as well. Just uh, search Seahawks Playbook Podcast. And, uh, and make sure you get it into your feed every week. So until next time, Keith. Go Hawks. Seahawks Playbook Podcast listeners, thanks for joining us for another edition of the show. You can find us on Twitter. Phil is at NWSeahawk. Keith is at Myers NFL. And the show is at Hawks Playbook. 
You can listen and subscribe to the show at SeahawksPlaybook.com.